Welcome to The Emergent Human, where we explore optimizing health and body spirituality and post-conventional living. I'm Michael Osterlink, a therapist, coach, and educator, and I'm your host. Today's show is brought to you by Somatic Psychotherapy Today. Today's guest is Roger Southern, PhD, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and author of The Practice of Embodied Emotions and the developer of Integral Somatic Psychology. Good to see you, Roger. Good to see you, Michael. Thank you for um, inviting me to the show. I appreciate you being on the show. I've been excited to talk to you. So before we get into your book and the Integral Somatic Program, I'm very interested on how the path that led you to create this whole new program and to write your book. And, and it's an amazing story because you started out, at least professionally, completely not in the world of psychology. That's you right. Share, like how this happened and how you got to where you are today? Well, um, I write about this a lot in the uh, introduction uh, yeah. uh, uh, to the book, the, in the chapter. Uh, on it, uh, And, um, you know, I grew up uh, not being connected to my emotions. Uh, in a culture that's full of emotions, in art, and literature, India, but not so much at the level of individual families. And uh, I suffered quite a few traumas, uh, starting with the near-death experience with my mother, uh, along with my mother when I was born. Uh, they were thinking that we would both die. We wouldn't survive the birth, birth process. And we survived. And that trauma, single-handedly, is the most important trauma of my life. If that, that laid the template for my perceptions of the world, my reactions to the world. I did not know that at the time, you know, that I'd gone through it. I then also got um, uh, other traumas in my history, uh, frequent abandonments, not because my mother was a bad person. She loved me to death, but she fell ill and I had to be separated from her. And, you know, when you have a trauma like uh, nearly dying at birth, it's a traumatic separation from your mother. So that's that's a big abandonment trauma. So that seeded it. And then subsequently, I had uh, these uh, repeated abandoned separations from her. So that set me up and uh, for life in the sense that uh, because I couldn't handle all of that, and there wasn't enough understanding of emotion and what the children go through, I used my body defenses a lot by shutting my body down. You know, I'm a very completely different body now than I had about 30 years ago. You know, and and um, uh, so I couldn't access my body to sense it, um, sense it at the level of sensations, let alone at the level of emotions. So, I, I, I. I you know, came from India. I went to a top-notch business school in a, uh, at Northwestern University. Got a PhD in um, business, and 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 um, uh, I also had an MBA before that. All those things I did. Uh, then I went and, went and teach at the University of Southern. Yeah, and um, and 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 uh, I realized then that. Uh, I was not interested in what I trained myself to do, to teach marketing. And that was a crisis for me. And at the same time, I'd also uh, had a very uh, terrible split uh, with a woman I love very much. 
I think the combination of the two, the two things uh, brought up the earlier traumas, the separation trauma, and I started to dream about infants and all those things, you know. And and uh, I would even have this image of a child when I closed my eyes on the way to meeting her, a little baby. So so one thing led to another, and then I found myself exploring psychology more in twelve step groups and. Um, let me, let me stop you and just ask you, because I think it's fascinating. So you had some imagery that was showing up for you. Did you know what it was and what to do with it? Because you, at that moment, from what I hear you say, is like you didn't have the psychological training yet. Because the psyche was intruding into my waking state uh, in yeah. order to uh, you know, inform me that what is happening between the, this woman, uh, whom I thought at the moment was the love of my life, turned out to be, uh, it, it, it was a projection of uh, my mother and, and, and uh, onto that relationship and the fear that I would lose her, et cetera. And, and um, so then I got into therapy. Then I got started to train in body-oriented psychotherapy trainings on the one hand. And I was drawn to Jungian psychology because it's very close to the Indian model of the psyche. You know? So, so uh, I somehow got into both streams, body psychotherapy as well as Jungian psychology. And I like to learn things. I don't like to stick to one school. So I learned and you know, studied psychoanalysis with Robert Stolarov and uh, and Jane Van Buren, <clears throat> different schools of psycho- uh, psychoanalysis. But all of those things really brought me to this place where I, 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 you know, I thought that I would never teach again after I left USC. But I found myself loving teaching psychology, and then. Um, I got a license as a clinical psychologist in California. And, and when my teaching schedule got very busy, I just gave it up. And so I just traveled internationally in a teach in as many as 20, 22 countries. And uh, so this work developed, this work developed. And um, also wanted, to, uh, you know, had the opportunity to work in Sri Lanka after mm-hmm. the, uh, sorry, India after the tsunami, a two-year project, a three-year project in Sri Lanka. Uh, uh, after the civil war with war and, and other things. So I real, uh, you know, where I needed to develop something very quick, mm. you know, the mental and uh, to train mental health professionals. And um, somehow the idea of developing a greater capacity for opposites was a prime goal in my process uh, because uh, I had also gotten into Jungian psychology that said the way to develop individuation is to develop a capacity of opposites, but also from the spiritual practice I have Advaita Vedanta for enlightenment. It's also important to develop a capacity of opposites. I don't know how to do that. You know, um, People are saying, stay with it till you develop a capacity, but that, that didn't work. Then I realized uh, as I started to read Candice Pert and Damasio, I realized that motion is a full body phenomenon, including the brain. It's not limited to the liver as in Chinese medicine or limited to the amygdala, uh, as some would have it. it. They're all involved, but the entire physiology is involved. I said, well, then if we spread it out to the whole body, would that be more tolerable? Right? If uh, emotion is an impact the situation has on us, uh, if it feels it's good, then we feel good. If it's bad, we feel bad. So why confine you know, confine the emotion to one place, the impact to one place in the body. So intuitively, I thought, well, 
before I arrived at a scientific explanation for it, it let's expand the body through all the different uh, body work and body psychotherapy approaches I've, uh, you know, um, that I've learned, simple um, techniques from them, and see whether we can support and expand the emotion. And it started to make sense. And I started you. to, yeah, I started to benefit from it personally. Then I tried it on my clients. So this is how the work developed. And then I went back and studied the physiology of emotions in more detail, uh, embodied cognition, etc. All those things I learned later. But the, the the goal of somehow developing more affect tolerance, which is valued and in intersubject to psychoanalysis through the body, is what I was after. Right from the beginning, not only for you know, mostly for myself, but it turned out to be of great benefit professionally. Let me ask you to rewind a little bit historically, because um, you study. You said you said Jungian psychology and, and model matched really well with your own experience in Hindu India, but you also talked about you know, some somatic practices and, and therapies that you also study too. Both Jungian and various schools of somatic psychology are pretty non-mainstream. Yes, yes. How did you even know to discover Jung and his psychology? And I know you work with Peter Levine and some other folks too. How did you even discover those different schools of thought? I, I just don't know. I think I was just led to it. Nice. Okay. You know, I think, I think uh, you know, I, 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 um, you know, in neuroscience, we're starting to learn uh, there's no free will, right? We just claim ownership of the things that happen through us and to us as having to do with us when there's no us really. And even Damasio says the sense of self that we call me is an arbitrary construction of body experience. That's what in enlightenment uh, practice, people try to focus on to, you know, to make it dissolve as in the dissolution of the ego. So I can say, well, I thought that I thought that, but at the same time, I realized that, you know, this things just happen. It just, uh, yeah. Yeah. And we could jump into the microbiome and the how it contributes to various uh, behaviors and thoughts. And, and right, right. On the very micro level. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We contain multitudes, I think is the, the phrase. Yeah. Um, but quickly back to the body psychologies. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the schools of thought that you studied? And I know you talked too. Just so people yeah. have the background and all the yeah. things that went into your integral somatic the somatic psychology and, work. The somatic part of it, right? The somatic part yeah. of it is, is fed by many streams. Yeah. Uh, Reichen therapy, yeah. neuroreichen bioenergetics therapy, yeah. right? Gestalt therapy. And um, then, uh, you know, Rogerian uh, analysis, yeah, Roger, the Rogerian approach, the person-centered approach. Um, and and um, then um, body dynamic analysis. It's probably the most sophisticated body uh, psych psychotherapy system out there. A little ahead of its time, yeah, yeah. given uh, the the uh, given where the body is in psycho psychotherapy, it's still in the fringe. And um, somatic experiencing. You know, met Peter Levine. Right, I was fortunate enough to meet. Uh, uh, Dr. Peter Levine, at the very beginning of mm -hmm. my career, when I moved from USC to, and I was looking for something to do, yeah. and uh, I met him, and uh, uh, one day out of the blue, he just called me up and said, I want you to go to Portland and teach. I said, 
what? I just finished my training. He said, oh, you know how to teach at USC and Northwest, and you can, I'm sure that you can handle a small group in Portland. And nice. that's how I got started. And I got very in, involved in the organization there too. And the great thing about Levine is that he allows you a great deal of freedom to experiment. So in a way, I developed in a, the approach while I was teaching somatic experiencing. So nice. I'm forever grateful to the somatic experiencing and Peter Levine. And then I became interested in energy. I wanted to go beyond the body work systems. I, I, and I'm trained in postural integration, which is a deep tissue system. Mm -hmm. Then I studied uh, biodynamic craniosacral therapy mm -hmm. in over a two year period. That's, that actually goes more into the quantum field of the body. And I did polarity therapy. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Of Randolph Stone. I mean, I, I, mm -hmm. I didn't do it formally, but I studied it, studied it and use it in my training too, mm -hmm. to work at the energetic level or the quantum level of the body where we can form defenses against emotions as well from that perspective. So all these things have come together actually in, in informing me as to how to work with the body to support the uh, emotional uh, embodiment, uh, uh, to expand the emotion in the body so as to create a greater capacity for it. And, and then of course, Emotion requires a lot of support from the inside and the outside. That's more important than working with the body or energy. Yeah? So that I learned from inner psychoanalysis and uh, gestalt therapy and Rogerian work and so on. So, Thank you. I, I just want to make sure all our viewing and listening audience knows all the different really interesting schools of thought that you've both studied and taught that kind of come together to create your integral somatic practice and, and theory. Um, so let, let me ask you this. So you, you, a few moments ago, you talked about embodied cognition and that, you know, emotions aren't just in the amygdala and the, the, the brain or in Chinese medicine in a particular organ, but they, they show up in many different places throughout the body or, or embodied. Can you walk us through what that, what that means for you and your work? Because a lot of people don't know that, no, don't that, know what yeah. that would mean. Yeah. Uh, the debate is still whether uh, it's a br the brain or the body uh, emotion is the brain or body phenomenon that's still, still, uh, you know, um, the jury is still out there, you know, and, um, you know, I'm very influenced by the work of Damasio, Antonio Damasio, and, uh, you know, uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett, how the brain makes emotions. Essentially, the idea is that the entire body and brain physiology is involved in generating an emotional experience. Yeah, this is the thing. And the Candice Burt also at the, at the, uh, in the level of receptors affirmed yeah. that, you know, that uh, an emotion is, it can generate in the body or the brain, but it cascades throughout the body brain physiology, especially when it's intense, right? And the blocking of it, uh, it can lead to what disease, psychophysiological symptoms. Yeah. So, 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 the idea is that the emotion is potentially an ent entire body brain physiology phenomenon, right? So um, it's not that we recommend, it's, a, it's not, I'm not recommending a lifestyle that you do it all the time, like be in perfect posture all the time. But this knowledge can be used in therapy on self-help, yeah, uh, to, to, to increase the capacity for emotion in the body. And how do you do that? This is, this is where things get interesting. I have 
discovered that, you know, the emotion can be thought of as an impact that an event has on you and so, or some aspect of the event has on you. So I was working with a woman today with a fear of dying. You know, in, in fact, it was the other's fear of dying. This, my, her mother would die, her sister would die. And uh, as we started to work with it, uh, so what we did was we expanded the emotion of the fear of dying to more places in the body. This is, this is a bit of a contradiction because people say, people come to us to get rid of it, no? Why, uh, I, you know, that they feel it here and they can't breathe. And you're saying, hey, undo the defenses and you actually take it to the belly, take it to the arms. That's not what they come to you for. They want relief, right? And I say, well, if you spread the impact, it's more tolerable. This is one thing. Mm-hmm. And when it is more tolerable, because the impact, you're spreading the impact, you're not holding it in one place. At the energetic level, it makes a lot of sense. But I have to, I've also explained it in terms of blood flow, nervous system flow, et cetera, that it is additionally disrupted by the defenses that make the experience harder to, to process in the book. And uh, so expanding the emotional experience is what I call, to as much of the body as possible, is what I call emotional embodiment. I make my own definition there. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> exactly. And, and then how does it, and, and that in itself leads to improving capacity, uh, increasing increase uh, in capacity to tolerate the emotion, to stay with it for a longer period of time. So what does that get you? That gets you, if I can stay with emotion for a longer period of time, we know from Damasio's 1994 book, Descartes' Era, People who have emotions do much better cognitively and behaviorally than people who do not have, do not have emotions. But we also know that people are acting out all over the place because they cannot control their emotions. So when you expand into the body, it becomes more tolerable. You will not act out cognitively or behaviorally, but the, you give the brain a lot of time to process it for cognitive and behavioral implications of the situation. So that's why the book, the subtitle of the book is uh, a guide for improving cognitive, emotional, and behavioral outcomes, right? So we're working with it. At some point, she says, she has this embodied insight. She says, it is my fear of dying. I thought, you know, that's, that's an embodied insight. Cognition improves to arrive at a very relevant psychotherapeutic, um, you know, uh, insight that she hasn't had, yeah. right? Uh, she's in her forties, so That's and she, yeah. So so very quickly she got there, and then it made it made it easier for her to be with it, etc. So there are there are this is where many streams of research come into play come into place. I was talked about the, spreading the impact and making it more tolerable, right? But it's also true that the, the, through research at the University of Wisconsin Milwaukee, we know that when you expect when you block the emotional involvement of the body, the cognition and uh, uh, cognition about the context of the emotion and the emotion itself is suffers dramatically. Paula Niedenthal, right? So when I make it, spread it, what am I doing? And I'm doing making the body become more involved in the emotional experience, right? And therefore, by that, the, the theory of embodied car, emotion, it's called, embodied emotion, the cognition gets better. Then there's another theoretical stream that the body and the environment are important for cognition, right? This is the perspective, the paradigm of 
embodied and embedded cognition. And so when I make the body more available, it's usually not available. We know that from body psychotherapy systems, we shut the body down when emotions become intolerable. But we open the body and make the emotions more tolerable. The body is more open to the brain as well as the environment, in which case cognition will improve from that perspective as well. So I'm glad to find all these, you know, all the, I developed the method and then I started to look at the literature and I, I was so glad to find there's an adequate evidence-based scientific theories that support the method. i also like to add too, you know, another secondary benefit and you talk about this in your book are the health benefits. You gave a case study of a, of a woman who had suffered from migraines and, and obviously we're not going to say this cures migraines medical reasons, we're not lawyers, blah, 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 all that kind of good stuff, put that aside. But it's fascinating to consider that there are positive health benefits to not only feeling, but extending the emotionals, emotions throughout the physical body, changing cognition, changing behavior. Yeah. Can you speak if a little the, bit about that too? Yeah, if the emotion, if the cause of symptoms like chronic fatigue or migraine or asthma or cardiovascular dysfunction, all of these things I've worked with, through the practice of embodying emotion, if it happens to be psychological in origin, it's an emotional in origin, from a lack of capacity to tolerate the emotions, then the practice of embodying emotions opens the body, right? And, 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 and opens the body and, and reduces the impact on one particular part of the body that goes into extra dysregulation, causing asthma or causing migraine. Migraine is a top-heavy symptom. Tomorrow I'm going to work with a woman who has migraine. And uh, she has a lot of grief. And uh, um, I always ask for medical opinion. Any symptoms people come to Mm -hmm. me with, what's the medical opinion? Please get a medical opinion. Because I need to make sure that I'm not working with a fatal illness, you know, naively thinking it's all psychological. Sometimes it's a tumor uh, that's causing the migraine. So rule out all those things. And then if it's emotional, the possibility is there, then I attempt to exp- exp- uh, expand. And it turns out that migraine is a relatively easy symptom to uh, resolve because if it's not hormonal, if it's not al- uh, allergy oriented, because it's a top, energetically, it's a top heavy symptom. The brain is overwhelmed. It's a central nervous system, system symptom. So the moment, if we bring it down a little bit and create more capacity in the body, even a little bit, how much depends on the client mm-hmm. because different clients form symptoms at different thresholds so some clients who form symptoms at low thresholds even have a better chance of getting rid of these serious symptoms faster than people who develop at higher levels of intensity of emotion so that's the idea that's the idea you know they say that one third of the medical symptoms in the u.s uh, it is estimated by the literature in the psychophysiological um, uh, disorders um, in the literature on that disorders, and uh, one one can find it at the Association of Psychophysiological Disorders in the U.S. in New York. And up to one third of the symptoms are psychological in origin, and I think that most of many of them are emotional capacity problems. And, no, the, yeah. and the ACE study, you know, advanced ACE study also shows a lot of correlation between ma- major symptoms and illnesses and childhood trauma and lack of affect, support and knowledge and, and intelligence and so on. So I'm sure that I will be, I'll be 
end up talking about this with Bernie Siegel, you know? Exactly. Yep. That's what he's crossed my mind. Yeah. 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 So I'm looking forward to it. So, yeah. You know, in your book, you also talk about beyond primary emotions. And I'd love for you to talk about that because you know, in most psychological schools, it's just about primary emotions. There's, there's nothing about sensory motor experiences. And I'd love for yeah. you to talk about that as well and integrate that into our conversation. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the primary you know the 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 primary emotions list. The idea is that there are primary emotions, a limited number. Then the co- combining all of them, uh, the combinations, uh, you know, dyads and triads produce all the emotions we have, and that clearly is not true, because what about the emptiness one feels when one is feeling lonely? That's unbearable. Sadness is not so intolerable. Emptiness is intolerable. That will drive me to the refrigerator very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, 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 emptiness, weakness, strength, these are all emotions. Because, you know, it's an impact of the situation on you. If the situation makes me feel stronger. That should qualify as an emotion. So I called it sensory motor emotions, bodily states that don't quite come under primary emotions are the combinations. I call them sensory motor emotions, thinking that it was already in the literature because I would have chosen some other terminology. And then when I wrote the book, I looked for the terminology. It's not there. You know, sensory motor psychotherapy is there, not sensory motor experience is there, but not sensory motor emotions. I, I'm stuck with it. So what is it? It's, it can be very simple. You know, sometimes clients don't have access to primary emotions because they've been socialized out of it. And uh, But then they come to us and say, I feel bad, help me. But feeling bad, they're telling me that the situation is having a bad effect on them. They feel bad. So feeling bad and feeling good, which are, by the way, the basic dimensions of experience, according to the dimensional theory of emotions, right, can are legitimate contenders for emotions themselves. Today, I worked with a woman. I was trying to work with her anxiety. And uh, very difficult. Then she kept losing it. There was no capacity. Then I said, does the situation make you feel bad? She said, yeah. Uh, then I said, where do you feel bad? So we just expanding. We kept expanding that she felt bad here, bad there. And before long, the anxiety comes. And then it's more tolerable. Because mm-hmm. it's that the anxiety feels bad that we resist. So if you develop a capacity for bad feeling, Many emotions that are characterized by it, unpleasant emotions, start to differentiate. You know, the cognition improves, the emotional capacity improves. So uh, that's why I say, you want to work with emotion? Don't tell me your client doesn't have emotion. Most of them, I can't say universal. You can get them to an emotional experience quickly, right from the beginning, because they are coming to you because they're having an emotional problem. It just... So you can start to work with it right away by expanding no, I, the definition of emotion. So, you No, know, I love that. I think that's so, so important. And another thing you talk about in your book through a case study is the, the making distinctions between allowing and expanding and expressing. You give a great example of the, of the woman who cries. Yeah. And in most psychotherapeutic schools, that's like a success. You're done. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the case study as an exemplar, exemplar yeah. of your theory? Yeah, the, 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 um, the idea is emotional expression has its purpose, mm-hmm. right? And there's nothing wrong with having a catharsis because when you just lose somebody, you just you need to let it out. 
It's therapeutic, right? Healing uh, in relation to somebody who just clamps down. That's not good. Uh, but just crying all the time is not going to solve the problem because it doesn't develop capacity, depletes the person. Yeah. And, and so you need to hold that back. But the expression also plays other roles. Very often by inhibiting expression, we inhibit the expansion of emotion in the body. There's a link. So for example, today with the woman who was working with the fear of dying, I had to make her vocalize the fear. Uh, emotion congruent sound like, uh, uh, and that, then she could feel that spreading into the face, spreading into the belly. So it goes the other way too, the other way too. But just expressing it, you know, crying is not going to do it. Even though crying is therapeutic at times. So we just might make, make a determination when, which is appropriate. Yeah, so. No, I love that. That was one of my major takeaways from your book, among many different things. In fact, you also the, talk about, yeah, the face, the face throat physiology has a dual function. If the emotion is the brain, you bring it down here, the brain processes better, right? But as you do that, it also expands it non-verbally into the body. And if it's in the body, you bring it to the face and throat, it, it, the brain recognizes much better because you're bringing it to the face and throat. The, the physiology seems to have those special uh, you know, properties to interpret emotions in the brain and the body. You know, it's, it's a bridge, so to speak. So. Uh, let's move outside of the individual to interpersonally because you also talk about interpersonal resonance. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and why, how that plays a role in the work that you do do? There is more science now that tells us that beyond transference and counter-transference that are very real, right? Mm -hmm. that, that we have all those theories more or less are based on the idea that nothing passes between the client and the therapist. It's all done through the five senses, right? Or the mirror neurons and so on. But it turns out that we are exchanging, our bodies are exchanging energies, short range energies like electromagnetic um, energies, measurable energies. You know, uh, James Oshman in a two volume set called the Scientific Basis of Energy Medicine documents all the studies that have been done in diverse fields, including defense. And then the quantum physics, you know, if you read Larry Dorsey, for example, one mind, he documents a lot of scientific evidence of how even at great distances, there can be interpersonal communication, right? Uh, you know, instantaneous communication that can certainly happen when you're close to the client in the therapy room. So quantum communication and electromagnetic communication is how we communicate with each other. And we might block each other through our, through our history, Right. For example, the first client I worked with wouldn't let me sense her. The second client I worked with, she was open. So I could sense her. So this is what attachment theorists are now saying, like uh, Peter Fornegy out of the UK. He says, you know, um, in order to, for a mother, in order to create a secure child, needs a securely attached child needs to be able to sense the emotions of the child in herself, not just in the brain, in her body. It's called you know, emotional attunement. I would call it embodied emotional attunement. In fact, when you do that, when you become more, you can tolerate things, the individual 
body gets open to the environment, not only to the mother, father, but also the archetypal energies, God or whatever, you know? So it's really very important. And it's very important in supporting people emotionally for a therapist to be able to do that. And that's why I spent a whole chapter on that. You know, it's not difficult to do because it's not something that you're going to buy at a grocery store. It's already in you. You discover it and you develop it. And, and, and it's a mysterious process. And I love it. So that's what I, I that's why I spent a whole chapter on it. Did you utilize the word integral as part of your integral somatic psychology work? Because because what I'm hearing you say is like you're going from your work goes from the quantum level the gross physical body all the way out to the archetypal level and you're kind of integrating all these things is that where i and how you use the word integral yeah the integral you know i might phd dissertation in clinical psychology is on jungian psychology and advaita vedanta which takes the jungian model even to a higher level you know where uh, to the to the uh, to the to the uh, to the absolute level of um the absolute body of pure consciousness that doesn't change yet in, in a mysteriously is the basis of the universe. It's immanent and transcendent, right? It goes all the way. A leap that Jung couldn't make, perhaps he would have made it a little, if he had lived a little longer. And, and um, so, and I'm, I mean, spiritually inclined from the beginning, perhaps due to early trauma. So, and, and Eastern spirituality is dear to me. Also, mystical traditions of Sufism and Gnostic Christianity and, and Kabbalah are also dear to me because they share common ideas, even yeah. though they might not be exactly the same. Uh, and and uh, so I wanted to bring all these levels together in a psychology, right? And um, uh, that's what I've done. The model, ISP model is quite you know, it goes from the individual gross physical body all the way to the, uh, the, 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 the unchanging body of pure awareness. That's mm. the basis of the universe, right? And, and it goes all the way. And, and, but what brings them all together is the ability to tolerate opposites. If there's one thing we can do, little thing we can do, it's not the whole thing. That's all systems are saying capacity for opposites. And I can understand why it is because it improves cognition, behavior, emotion in relational situations, but also makes me more relatable to other people, right? But then it opens my body to these levels of the psyche, to embody those levels of the psyche, or it allows my awareness to expand beyond the ego to own all these bodies. That's another level of embodiment where the awareness embodies you know, the universe or the even the basis of the universe. In fact, I'm teaching a class right now for the Institute of Embodied Philosophy. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's by a professor out of Oxford University. Mm. And I'm doing a four-week course with them, right? Nice. You know, we're going to be looking at how developing a greater capacity of opposites can improve embodied uh, mindfulness practices, mm. right? different types of mindfulness practice, and then also different types of enlightenment practices, yeah, spiritual practices. This, this is the way we're going. So it is integral in the sense that it brings it all together. And I love it. You know, I've always been integral. Even in marketing, I was considered to be an integral person. I was looking at everything. At different, I love to bring things together. And here it is, you know, serving me here. For my, awesome. you know, for, for my personal process, really, you know, so... Uh, my spiritual practice got has gotten deeper, deeper. You know, I might spend uh, the 
for you know my mother died last year oh, and sorry. i grieved etc i grieved etc and i'm such a fond relationship to her and but then i didn't realize that another level of the fear of dying that a death caused i had not processed and my wife told me to do yoga and i did it and then for the last 3 days it's up and about mm. and so this morning i i went for a walk a 50 minute round trip the, the throughout the entire time i was processing the fear of dying mm. and 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 i i was fascinated i could touch the child i could you know uh, experientially and how difficult it was and then I end up working with a woman with the fear of dying. So this is the coincidence in the universe, the synchronicity of things. Synchronicities, so, exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah. Oh, thank you, thank you. And ultimately, you know, remember that capacity for uh, uh, suffering is only a stepping stone to something else. Spiritually, we have to realize that we are the 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 unchanging body of pure awareness. and and for our awareness to not to be stuck in the body especially a sense of self and the body you'll continue to create pain you know painful experiences we can embody emotions and you know come out be more resilient but it's going to be limited the ultimate solution is there that's what buddha found you know and mm-hmm. and uh, other sages have found in all religions not just hinduism so Ajay, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I definitely want to encourage people to check out your new book. Where can people find your book, as well as your trainings that you offer, your online trainings and other such things? Yeah, online co- trainings, supervision. I, I provide. You know uh, what I hope people will do as soon as they get the book. It's written like a guide, so that you can. You have emotions. You try it on for its. you know to see whether it works for you. Try it on your clients, and somewhere along the line, you're going to say, "I want to learn more." you know you can come to my monthly supervisions or online supervisions you can you can take my video courses you know there, there are courses on trauma development attachment pre and perinatal trauma i offer war trauma from the point of view of the practice of embodying emotions but most importantly i offer a 12 day course integral somatic psychology professional training which is online a lot these days and you can find all the information at uh, www.integralsomaticpsychology.com that's one word integralsomaticpsychology.com or you can look search under my name raja selvam you might get a few attorneys in sri lanka but ignore them and maybe raja selvam emotion will definitely you know bring it up and then you can you can buy it on amazon you can buy it on google books it's available as a kindle book it's available at paperback and it's also going to be available starting june 7th as an audio book you know the the first printing sold out in 3 weeks <clears throat> that's because this is not a competing modality it's a complementary modality for all mm. modalities out there and i think i think that that is how somehow it has become popular so uh, thank you uh, every, thank i want to thank everyone for making it a success you know it's in the second printing already within the month so It's great. Congratulations on that. I'm very excited on the audio book because I also yeah. do a lot of books on audio. Yeah. And you actually teach in other programs as well? Yeah, I also uh, teach in I also teach in a somatic experiencing. I only teach the advanced level of training, very few days I teach, but I do teach those too. Mm. Well, I was also thinking to embodied philosophy. 
That's true. I, I offer a course there. I offer yeah. a course here, yeah, but yeah. you know, it's, it's yeah. a very short term. Yeah. So. yeah. I'll make um, sure I include it in the show notes, all the trainings that you offer, mostly through your website and connections to your books and things like that. And Raja, it's uh, been an honor to talk you, to you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time. It's so enjoyable the way you set it up. I, I really Good. appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.